2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. I'm Richard Young. Welcome to the Death to Life podcast. When I realized that my relationship with God was not peaceful, I'm like, I'm actually really tired. I am tired of the striving. I am tired of trying and never getting there. And in that moment, I remembered all the times that you guys were talking about, like, we are his kids. How do good fathers treat their kids? I'm his kid. 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 Yo, welcome to the Death Alive podcast. I'm your host, Richard Young, and it's season three time, baby. We have been waiting. This has been the longest time in the last three years that uh, Death to Life hasn't been on, but it is on. We are back, and we have so many wonderful stories to tell. We want to thank you guys so much for supporting this podcast uh, through listening, through your finances. We have been so blessed uh, to be able to put this season on. And uh, it's been a long time coming, but we here. And the first episode of season three is with my friend Karen. And Karen is from Down Under. She's from Sydney, Australia. And I'm not going to step on her story at all. I just want you to listen to it. Uh, if you heard those quotes in the beginning, you know there's going to be some death, but there's also some beautiful life. And so we're just proud to, to share this story with you so that you can hear it, that you can be blessed and edified. Without any further ado, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. So you were born in South Africa. Yeah. My parents came to Australia because... They were in a lot of debt. My dad had opened two medical practices, which didn't go well. And the idea was come and live in Australia, earn Australian dollars, send it back and get out of debt. Mm -hmm. 
And then we had been in Australia for a few months and my parents found out that they had been defrauded of all the money that they had been sending back to South Africa. How? Someone got access to the bank account and took all the money. Lord have mercy. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a child, so I'm oblivious to all of this. Uh-huh. And But my mum tells the story. That morning, my dad came home and told her what had happened. She, Both of them just didn't know what to do with themselves. My dad just went to the garage. No one spoke. And my mum, all in her pyjamas, still went to the mailbox. And in there was a card from a little old lady from the church that my parents had attended in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was a card of encouragement. Obviously, that woman, when she sent that card, had no idea. Mm. And when you think about the timing, like that woman had to go out and buy that card, write that message, put it in the post. Back then, like post would take weeks. Mm -hmm. And then on that day that my mum needed something, there that card was. And my mom has kept that card. That card is in her Bible. She keeps it because it's just an example hmm. of when a really tough, difficult moment, God showed up Wow! for, for them. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So we moved to Bathurst and then we moved to Port Macquarie. And Port Macquarie is actually where, you know, Ruth Hodge. What's up, um, Ruth? I know you're listening. What's up? Shout out to Hi, Ruth. Ruth. <laughs> That's where I met Ruth. So at the time I'm nine, Ruth would have been like six, but her brother was in my grade at school. And then we were at Port Macquarie and then we went back to South Africa for six months and my dad went and lived in the most northern tip of Australia in this really remote community. And then we came back after six months, came back to Australia and lived in North Queensland, like tropical Queensland, mm-hmm. near the Great Barrier Reef. We lived there for a year and a half and then back to South Africa. And then my dad stayed here. And then after a few months, we moved to Sydney just as I was starting high school. And then we've been in Sydney ever since. The, that was that. And always throughout this, you know, church mm-hmm. and God is this central to our lives. When I was growing up, the only reason you didn't go to church is if you were sick. Right. Otherwise, you were there front and center. And so my first picture of God and faith, is, you know, is my family mm-hmm. and growing up in church. So every town we would move to, we would find a church. And for my mom, she would say this was her saving grace because there was community when she needed it most, when she was separated from her friends, her family, and everyone she loved, Mm -hmm. there was a ready-made community of people who would invite you to their house, who would help you if you needed it, and that's what she always needed wherever she went. My mom is a big extrovert, so she needed that. So the church is a a foundational piece of of your life. It's like your family and the church, and it's all together. It, yeah, it, it was everything. My parents have always been involved in church. So we would be those people there right as church was opening, you know, right, stay there for lunch all afternoon. Yeah, that was, yeah, my life. That, that, that's kind of like my upbringing. And I'll tell you this, I think that's beautiful. Mm. I think uh, 
if you can have a, a, a church family and a life that's surrounded around God's people, man, how beautiful is that? Mm. I, I think that's awesome. And it just builds just a good foundation. Oh, for sure. And also because of the particular church denomination that I grew up in, which is Seventh-day Adventist, we also have a lot of schools. So Mm -hmm. I would go to whatever small town we would be, there would be an Adventist school. My sister and I would go to that. So like my whole reality was church, Adventism, Mm -hmm. that we didn't really know people outside of that. So kind of grew up like in a bubble, mm-hmm. you know, For sure. I went to Adventist schools. And then when I left high school, I went to an Adventist university, you know, I didn't really know people outside of Adventism. And, and as you know, Adventism has a very particular culture mm-hmm. as well. It's its own beast. It sure is. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's some similarities uh, with, American Adventist culture and Australian culture, Adventist culture. I'm sure there's some differences, but there's probably a lot of the same uh, cultural stuff that we yeah. uh, both grew up with. Yeah. And like, I think, although Aussies tend to be more relaxed about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. whereas coming from South Africa, we went to, I guess, what was would have been normal in the 90s for an African country but when I look back at it now, like super conservative, like only an elder could say the prayer mm-hmm. and only a deacon could get up and ask for the offering. You know, I think and- I think a lot of churches were like that. I remember growing up. I don't know if you experienced this. I think you and I are close to the same age. There was this thing called a celebration church that was opening near us. And we we're like. A celebration church? What's that? And we lived in the South. We lived in Georgia, Mm -hmm. and there were no drums in church. There was no guitars. And it was like, it's people that want to bring drums and guitars for singing. And we were like, what? Y'all crazy. (laughs) Y'all are wild. And so this was... But we just like this was normal to us. I don't know if... uh, What's conservative in Australia? Because we use those terms and they mean everything and nothing. So what what yeah. was what was conservative when well, you moved there? So we moved to the small country town. So there's only one church, right? Mm-hmm. And country people, I don't know about America, but country people tend to be more chilled out than city people. That like that's what my experience has been. So my family, my dad is a pastor's kid. On both sides of my my family, it's my grandparents, the ones who converted to Adventism. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather on my dad's side was a pastor. So he grew up as a pastor's kid. And my dad has, you know, his own story of coming to Jesus. But at that time, my dad was, my dad is a very black and white thinker. There's right and there's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there's a right way to go to church. And that is you wear a suit and a tie, mm-hmm. no matter if it's, well, I don't know how to say this in Fahrenheit, but 40 degrees Celsius, like super hot. Mm-hmm. You don't take the tie and jacket off. Like my sister and I were not allowed to wear pants to church. Yeah. When I was growing up, I was not allowed to wear makeup and jewelry. Sabbath keeping, you know, the seventh day Sabbath, like my parents would say things, you need to guard the edges guard of the, the edges. Sabbath. <laughs> and as a kid, I was like, whatever. Start <laughs> what Sabbath on Thursday mean? night. We're guarding the edges. <laughs> 
And so when we moved to Australia, like that's what everyone was like in South Africa. Like as, as far as my like eight year old brain could understand, we moved to Australia, like, you know, the Sabbath was a, a sacred, you do not, Sabbath is not for you to enjoy. Don't have a good time on Sabbath. Don't, don't laugh on Sabbath. Like even now, if someone wants to talk about a new car they bought on Sabbath, my dad's like, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, that is a conversation for another time. And so then we would be invited to people's houses like on Sabbath after church and there the kids are outside like jumping on the trampoline and playing with their toys and running around. Mm -hmm. And there my sister and I are sitting on the couch looking out the window. No, you were resting. You were were resting on the Sabbath. (laughs) Yeah. Longingly looking outside because we just wanted to jump on the trampoline. I don't want any more rest. You think, do you think if you went back in time and... And you talk to these beautiful people that were like, this is how we keep the Sabbath. There's no way. I've never met someone who is legalistic about things that knows they're legalistic. They're just like, no, we're just honoring the Sabbath. And this is how we honor the Sabbath. And and I don't think if you would ask them, is there supposed to be no fun on the Sabbath? (laughs) They would be like, of course not. This is fun, you know. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we, the secret most of the time is we don't know what's going on when we're experiencing it, right? No, definitely not. No, you're you're doing your best, right? Like this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do your best. Yeah. And so this is the best. So wearing a suit to church is the best clothes you have. Uh-huh. You know, not not doing fun things on Sabbath. Or <laughs> That's our best. Things. Being yeah. miserable <laughs> for Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've mm. been thinking about the world recently. And how we're supposed to be different from the world and how the world is supposed to look foreign. And and when you think about it, the world should be. But Mm. the way we thought about it and how we handled it, because we didn't understand certain things, it did, it it was legalistic because it was, we're doing this to be right. Not we're doing this because we have been made right. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So that's like, even as a teenager, like I'm 15 years old and I am super judgmental because I, I I think that's often what this leads to legalism and, and this f- hyper focus on doing the right thing and the rules and being right and looking right can really only lead to a heart of judgment. So then anyone I think there's who's- two things it can lead to mm-hmm. and it depends on your personality. Mm-hmm. One is a heart of judgment. And one Mm is, I'm out of here. Like, I can't take these people, this religion, and you become rebellious. Mm. So, and but you and I, I think we're cut from the same cloth and that we're going to do it the right way. And Mm -hmm. it's judgmental. And you would look Mm. at the people that left and you would think, and tell me if I'm off. Oh, they're just not trying hard enough. Or they're, they're, they're they just don't have what it takes to mm. do this thing. Why would anyone leave this beautiful? Mm. And you really, I mean, I'm sounding kind of, you know, but I really believe that. I really believe, why would anybody leave this? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like there, that's, and for us tryhards that grew up in the, in the, in the good family, and I don't want to, you know, I love my family. We were doing the right thing, but we looked at people who would leave and we're like, y'all just don't get it. Yeah. Well, I'd be like, well, this is the truth. Why would, if you know that this is right, why would you walk away from that? Like you could only then be wrong 
if you're walking away from it. And then, but the, the judgment wasn't just people who walked away, but like the people, if they did things that didn't look exactly the way that I was brought up to do things, well, they're wrong. That's a sin. You know, why you're not keeping the Sabbath right? Why are you doing that thing? Oh, no, you know, super judgmental as a teenager. Karen, you're blessed in this way as I'm hearing this. And I've said it already a couple of times. You've had a wonderful family. You have a wonderful family. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. our privilege to be even judgmental in that way because we were allowed the right because, you know, we're, we have a wonderful family that loves us. So there's no fear. There's no, like, it's just like, yeah, my parents love me and they're doing what's right. I get you. I mean, the one thing though, you said about fear, like, I was super afraid of my dad though. And that also then translated to being very afraid of God because obviously like the people you see and, and, and often your parents, especially the when they're the ones teaching you about God become your picture of God. For sure. And my dad, he has softened in his older age. He actually turns 70 tomorrow. But at that time, like, I was just afraid. And so I was not afraid like I wouldn't be near him, but more like I just didn't want to get into trouble. Right. And so I've I've listened to your podcast. So I'm like you. I just wanted to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I love rules. I like to follow the rules. I never understood people who would be rebellious for rebellious sake, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, the teacher told us to do this thing. We better do this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like one yeah. day my friend and I, we, we used to drive to school together. So this is my last year of school. I have been a goody, goody two shoes my whole life. Don't break the rules. Don't get into trouble. And I thought at this time, I will have no exciting stories to tell my kids when I'm older because, or my grandchildren, because I have never done anything fun or rebellious. Like my story is like, well, I kept the rules and that's boring. So my friend and I, who she's like me as well, we sat there, we drove to school, my sister hopped out and we were like, we should leave. We should skip school. And we sat there for like 10, 15 minutes and like talked it out and then chickened out and went to class. Hey. The goody goody club has their own testimonies and they're just as powerful. But yeah, I'm a member of the goody goody club and my brother was on the other side. He was in the rebellious and I was like, come on, bro. Like this is, this is the way it'll work out. I promise you. (laughs) Yes. That was my sister. My sister would always be like, what's the worst thing that mom and dad going to do? Talk to me. And I was like, yes. And that's horrible. I'll get yelled at. Yes. If my dad yelled at me, my, my immediate reaction was cry. I would just cry. I just, I, I just felt it so much. And my sister would just be there like, whatever. Yeah. So that like high school me is like very right or wrong, very judgy of people. And also though, super boy crazy. And I just wanted the attention of guys Hmm. just wanted to have a boyfriend just wanted guys to like me and be attracted to me and be into me I I grew up on a steady diet of 
90s romantic comedy movies, which messed me up in so many other ways later what was on, the but... what was the one was it like clueless what was the movie that you're like oh one that we like would be my best friend's wedding with julia roberts oh yeah yeah like any like i know just about any 90s rom-com like you know one fine day sleepless in seattle um you've got mail like all those movies so i just became hyper focused on I need a boyfriend. And when I was 13, I, I hadn't kissed a boy yet. And I felt like I'm so behind. Everyone is yards ahead of me. And I'm this loser who hasn't had a kiss yet. (laughs) At 13. And it took a long time for me to realize, hang on, the, the, the lessons and the, the, the values and principles that are being showcased in these movies as the ideal actually only leads to hurt and heartbreak and is actually not real. But when you're 13, you don't know how to discern between that. You just like take it in and you're like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. So I just in high school just really wanted to have a boyfriend and I really wanted guys to be attracted to me, as I said. And I just, in that age, I think is when I really just, my, my biggest goal then at that point was like, I just wanted to be married hmm. because again, there's the other side of, I don't know where or how, but as a teenager, I believed there were two things that God could not forgive you for. That's if you drank alcohol and sex before and if you had sex before you got married. <laughs> don't know why no one ever explicitly says there's things to you, right? But you pick up on things. And so we're the same person. We're the same person. (laughs) Like I'm getting into heaven early because, uh, I didn't have sex till I was married and I still haven't, uh, had any alcohol. Although I was addicted to porn for a little bit and I was a terrible husband. Forget about that stuff. (laughs) I waited and I still haven't drank alcohol. I'm in. I'll see you guys on the inside. (laughs) That's it. Uh, you know, like if you had sex, that's, you can't ever take that back and alcohol. Well, that is just the devil's poison and it will lead you down a path of destruction. (laughs) So that's what I had in my head. And then I got a boyfriend. Now, looking back on it now, I recognize all these guys that I was dating in high school in my early 20, no, in high school as a teenager, Mm -hmm. I didn't actually really seek them out or like them. But I heard, oh, so-and-so has a crush on you. And then, of course, that would make me feel like, oh, yay, so-and-so likes me. He noticed me. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I would just start liking him back, right? Like, here's someone that likes me. Not really sure if I like him myself, but because he likes me and I'm getting attention and whatever, well, now I like him too. And then we would go, you know, in high school, he would go out. Yeah, Whatever would, that means. It means nothing and it means everything. <laughs> yeah. We'd yep. sit together at lunchtime and you wouldn't hold hands because they would see you, but you would be next to each other. Please believe yep. that. Yeah. And so like I had the series of these like boyfriends. I mean, some of them lasted a few years in high school, but like, I just, I don't like saying this word, but I was thirsty for male attention. Sure. And so like I would do anything and I won't say it on here because it's 
super embarrassing. But, you know, when you're younger, the things you contrive in your mind uh-huh. of, oh, if I do this, then that guy will notice. For and sure. some of the most embarrassing things I would do to, like, get guys' attention. How did you Ugh. feel about yourself? I, yeah, like, I thought I thought I was the shiz. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was all that. Yeah? That's, yeah. Okay, that's solid. How did God feel about you at that time in your mind? God was disappointed in me. Oh, dang. All, all of my experience of God at that time and, and even well into my 30s was I need to be doing more. I'm not doing enough. There's things God wants me to do, and I'm not doing them very well, and so I've disappointed him. Hmm. And because judgment is coming, you know, that's another big thing that I got taught a lot about, judgment. What was he disappointed for you in high school? Oh, just like I wouldn't read my Bible enough, or I didn't pray enough, or, you know, I wasn't particularly nice to a kid at school, or, you know... But it's like this low level in the back of my mind because also I'm a teenager, so I'm super. I'm I'm like focused on being with my friends and being being with my friends and and wanting to have a boyfriend and having fun, you know. So it's it's there, like kind of always in the background. And so I I'm like my dad. I would see him every morning for. The whole time I grew up, without fail, if I would wake up in my in the morning, my dad would have been reading his Bible and praying for a couple of hours. He would mm. wake up really early. And I would see that and would think, that's what I should be doing. Hmm. That's what a good Christian does. But I don't do that. So I'm not a good Christian. And I could always be better and doing more. But not like I'm actually going to do anything about it. I mean, there's, there's fits and starts, right? Like I would go to a summer camp or whatever and there'd be, you know, on the last night and the pastor's like preaching his heart out and the music's playing, which obviously all best intentions, but often would it feels like emotional manipulation because we want people to have this certain experience like the last Friday night of a camp you know it's going to be like the intense one mm-hmm. and everyone's down the front and people are crying you know and so I would have these experiences at whatever week of prayer at school or summer camp or whatever and then I'd be like yes I'm going to dedicate my life to Jesus like I have been doing it my own way this is it like everything to Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to become a better person, a better Christian. And of course, like the first few days after camp, I'm like there in my Bible. And then it, it drops off like the motivation, the feeling that high is gone Mm -hmm. after camp. And then you just go back to being what it was like before. So that's, this is what I, my relationship is up and down mm-hmm. and just feeling like, well, I'm, I'm not reaching the mark. But then also super judgmental at the same time, right? Like, so I feel like I'm disappointing God because I'm not doing these things. But then at the same time, looking at what other people are doing or not doing and being judgmental about that. I think that's the <laughs> secret about 
the secret of legalism and judge and being judgmental mm. is that the person that you're judgmental on the most is yourself mm. and you haven't reached that mark. And so mm. you treat others the way you believe God is treating you. You treat your family members in the same way that you feel like you've been treated and what your value and your worth is. Mm. And so, yeah, no one is judged more than the judgmental person. Mm. They might not know yeah. it or feel it, but yeah, that's that's why it's we're not to be judges of ourselves <laughs> in that way. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, I got baptized when I was 10 years old in, in, the, in the 90s. There were these big, like, campaigns, evangelistic campaigns, they would call them, that would happen. Net 98. That's it. That's <laughs> why I got baptized, because of Net 98. Shout out to Dwight Nelson. <laughs> oh, was that him? You don't remember? It was Dwight Nelson. No. Do you know what I do remember? Is that... Churches were like fundraising money so that they could get a satellite dish so that they could get the link. Yeah, so this time. is this is the nineties, right? It's not like internet abounds everywhere and so I remember at my church, because at this point we were back in South Africa for for a few months, and the church there got this massive satellite and and bought it so that we could get this link. And there before the Dwight Nelson look, and honestly, I don't remember anything other than this. There would be this guy that would come on and he would like say hello to all the African countries and he would stand there and he'd be like, Maranatha, Angola, Maranatha, Zimbabwe. <laughs> That's what I remember of <laughs> Net 98. <laughs> Let's get baptized. You're like, yeah. On that strength, he said, what's up to South Africa? I'm getting baptized. <laughs> yep. I was 10 and all my friends were doing it and I wanted to be a part of it. And so I asked my parents and surprisingly, like I thought they would might have an issue with it because I didn't do the Bible studies, but they said yes. And so I got baptized. And then of course it's, well, you're, well, I'm baptized. So now I should live a certain way, right? Because I'm one of them, one of us, one of us, you know, so yeah, you're I, in, you got to change your behavior now, right? Yes. Yeah. And, but it wasn't really until maybe I was like 18 or 19 that I like actually understood that Jesus died for me. Hmm. And I don't know if you know this guy, his name is Tim Gillespie. Sure. Yeah. He came to preach at a church here in Sydney for like a week and I went and on the Friday night, I'd like, I don't know what he was saying, but like it clicked for me. Oh my goodness. The weight of like what Jesus had done. And I sat there bawling my eyes out and I wrote all these notes in my Bible about how Jesus loved me and he had died for me. Hmm. But that revelation didn't really change anything for me. Like it was like, okay, now I know more and I know better, but it doesn't really change anything. Hmm. Still super judgmental of people. And and then this time, like now we're 18, right? So I'm, I'm leaving high school. I go to an Adventist uni again, still trying to keep all the rules and be a good girl. But all these people around me are like now going 
to the clubs. Let, and did you? Let me ask you this: mm. Did you want to do all of those things that everyone was doing, but you didn't want to get in trouble, or was your genuine heart like, "I don't want to do these things"? Oh no, I wanted to. <laughs> I was super curious, like, what is it like to be in a club? You know? <laughs> the first time I went into a club, I got so nervous. And there I'm like, are they going to ask me for my identification? And a guy turned to me, he's like, Richard, you're 22. Like, you're allowed to be in the club because, oh, oh, okay, because I'm a goody goody. We're members of the goody goody club. I'm, yeah. I, uh, oh, I can just go in. On the strength of my my birthday? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, like, I would, there would be people in my, like, part of my youth group and friend group at the time at church that they were the ones who, like, just came to church to socialize. But, you know, the night before, they would have been drunk mm-hmm. and up in the club. And so I, you know, lumped those people in a certain way because I had to categorize people. This is my judginess. Mm-hmm. And then there were those who were, like, involved in church and would come to church but I knew they would also like go out and do all the things you're not supposed to do and then there was like the holy few Mm -hmm. who would not do any of that and were really involved in church and we were really good and I felt like those were my people I could identify with those people I felt safe with those people it's the people on the outside of that holy center in my mind that I was like, Oh, I don't know how to relate to you. I, you know, we're not cut from the same cloth. So I'm not going to be super close to people like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then I went to Avondale and there's on Wednesday night would be student night. So Avondale college is the only Adventist university we have in Australia and it is in the country, but 20, 40 minutes away is a town, and there used to be a club there called Fanny's. <laughs> and on a Wednesday night was student night because that town also had a big university. And so people would pile into cars from Adventist, from oh, no. Avondale, and would go to Fanny's on a Wednesday night. And I wanted to go because everyone would talk about Fanny's and like, all the stuff they would get up to. So I wanted to go, but I felt like I couldn't go. Also at the time, like super aware of what people think about me and really want to be liked by people. And I want to be good and look like I'm a good girl. And so I couldn't go to Fanny's because people would find out. And then what if my parents found out? And, you know, that would the, the be awkward the awkward thing end. about going to Fanny's uh, in every Adventist uh, town university town has their own fannies so the awkward Mm. thing is when you're at fannies wednesday night or thursday night and then you're at vespers friday night sitting next to or the person that you were dancing with on thursday night that (laughs) like now you're like why did i dance with that person like that i don't even like them like this this is so awkward and it just makes for it just makes for very awkward interactions yeah, I'm sure it does, but that was never my experience because I never went because I was good. Yeah, I so, never went either. So. <laughs> so I could just stand in judgment and condemnation yes. of those people. Yeah, so this is who I am. Also still super focused on wanting a boyfriend. Like being married is still like my highest ideal. I didn't really have a plan for my career or future. I just wanted to be married, mostly because I, d- I wanted to have sex. 
And it's the goal. Like, it's the dream. <laughs> it is. Don't come yet, one. Jesus. <laughs> Do not just wait a couple years. Richard, like we joke, but that would be an actual like thought and fear of mine. Oh, like, 1, Jesus come? one thousand. I don't want to go to heaven a virgin. Like, no. Yeah. It's got to be life changing. <laughs> So, yeah, still, like, I just didn't think of the future beyond, like, getting married. And when I was 18, there were these boys who I went to church with. They were, like, you know, part of the bigger youth group. They played soccer with a bunch of guys, and they invited us to come. They were having a weekend away near the beach, and they invited a few of us to come for the weekend because they were having, like, this boys' soccer weekend away. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my mum was like, uh, no, you are not going away for a weekend with strange boys. No. She's like, <laughs> I've seen some of these videos. That is not how we say no. No. I, I'm, <laughs> get out. That's what your mom said. No way. I don't know. Okay. No, but my mom still has a very strong South African accent. So oh, okay. she would be like, no. Anyway, so I went. We, my sister and a friend of mine, we went up there on the Saturday afternoon and literally no one spoke to us. I don't know like what was wrong with us, but we were just like, you know, already we would always feel very awkward hanging out with these people because, you know, we don't really know them that well and they weren't particularly friendly. So we'd always feel a little bit nervous about being there. But anyway, we went in and this guy came up to talk to me and his name was Bernard and he was the only one who came and said hi to us and was friendly to us and hung out with us for that evening and very nice guy and we got to talking and you know I was of course enjoying this because I was like loved the attention from guys and just a few months, so this was in January, just a few months before this I had been at like camp meeting, we mm-hmm. call it big camp. And the the preacher there was talking about how, like, from the ages of 20 to 25, this is the time that we get to know ourselves the most and that if you're in a relationship, then your growth and knowing yourself will be stunted. So I took that very literally. Again, like, if someone said something up the front as a pastor, I wouldn't question it or check it. I just like, yeah, that's the truth. I'll accept that. And on the way home, from that camp, I was dating a guy at the time. I called him on the phone it's over, and broke bro. up with him. Yep. Yep. In He's like, very, why? Like- because the pastor <laughs> says that I need to be getting to know myself. Who yeah, is I that guy? Even- I hate him. <laughs> He's from God and it's over. So I was determined like to be single, but of course I'm enjoying this attention this male attention and you know Bernard is nice whatever like he's flirting with me and I'm lapping it up and then you know we go separate ways I don't think anything about it he's just this guy in this group of soccer guys like our lives don't connect in any way really and then the next week I go to church and he's he's at church he came to church and I was like what a stalker. Why is this guy here? Like, what are you doing? But he had decided he had a crush on me and he 
Um, oh, this is legit. Like the yeah. reason he was there is the reason you thought he was there. Yeah. Good for you, Bernard. <laughs> so he comes to church and he came with a friend, like one of our mutual friends. And I thought this was intense and a bit weird. So there's all these people leading out in like the songs, like in the band and singing. And they were all like his age and Mauritian. And he thought this was the most amazing thing. And our youth leader at the time, his name is Kevin Danzi, which I feel like we all owe so much to this man, super dedicated person in our lives who would just do anything for us as a group of youth. And he came up to Bernard. And so I'm sitting with Bernard having a chat and Kevin comes up and he says, oh, you know, what do you do, Bernard? Like, what can you do? Do you want to be a part of like this group? He's like, here, fill out this form and like tick the things that you can do. Uh, So Bernard ticks like he can play the drums, he can play the bass guitar, he can sing. And in my mind, I was like, Kevin, we do not know this guy. Why are you like inviting him to be a part of, you know, our worship service? This is his first time here. We know nothing about him or his character. And you're just going to let him be up the front? Mercy. Anyway. Come on, Kevin. So (laughs) God bless Kevin. And so Bernard filled out that form and he, that was it. He then attended church every single week. And that week after, he was in the band. So second time he's ever come to church, he grew up Catholic but had Mm -hmm. since left and Mm -hmm. not really gone to church. The second time he's ever come to our church, there he is in the band playing. And he's still pursuing me, which I'm like, no, I've got to be single. And I'm like, you know, rejecting him in all these ways. I'm finding myself. I'm finding my true self. But of course, still like loving that this guy is pursuing me and wants me and whatever. He's a good looking guy. He is a good looking guy. He is a very good looking guy. And he would do all these really romantic things for me. So like that Valentine's Day. So we met in January. Valentine's Day rolls around. I'm like telling him, no, you know, I don't really want to be with him. Flowers? Um, No. No. (laughs) Chocolates? Uh, No. (laughs) Sorry. He's. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) He secretly came to my house and like set up the scavenger hunt in this like block of land that had this little treasure map and all these poems and notes. He's making the rest of us look bad. I don't like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And like I would find a gift and when the gift was, I'd find the gift and he's like, this is not for you. This is for your friend, Christelle. And then I'd find the next one and like, this gift is not for you. This is for Tabitha. And so he got all like two of my best friends and my sister, the four of us would hang out a lot. He got them gifts as well as getting me like a bunch of gifts at the what end. What a dude. Yeah. Smooth. But I still was like, no, got to be single. And and just before Valentine's Day. So like talking about the first time you ever go to a club. So the first time I ever went to a club was I was just about to turn 19 and I was like, I can't turn 19 and not have gone to a club, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, I had to wait till my parents were away one weekend mm-hmm. because I had a very strict curfew. And so I went and I bought a, a special top <laughs> to wear to the club. Also because I was like, well, if you go to a club, you have to show – 
a lot of skin. That's what people in the clubs what do. You gotta, they won't let you in. Yeah, exactly. Up. Yep. And so my friend who was also 18, my, my sister and our other friend weren't 18 yet, so they stayed at home. But me and my friend Tabitha, we went to the club. And we got there and one of our friends who was very much involved in church but was also in the soccer team, when we walked into the club, he just burst out laughing at us. He was like, because we were at the club, because the two of us were these really goody-goody girls, and I was, like, a little offended by him laughing so were much. Were you, like, super nah, – I don't, I don't know the answer to this question. I'm excited to find out. Were you super uncomfortable? Or were oh. you like, oh, this is my – this is like we were a fish to water? No, no. Like, you know, you get there, and I had to pay money, and then, like, they put the stamp – on your yeah, wrist, you so know? that people can see that you're a bad a bad girl <laughs> the next day. Oh, where were you? You got the X on you. <laughs> so, but like, I felt really awkward. Like, you know, what is the procedure? Because I want to do everything right, and I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'm like, oh, okay. Where do we go next? Okay, how do we do this? Like, uh, yeah, super nervous. Like nervous that my parents would find out. Like felt like this was super rebellious, but of course I'm 18. I was like super curious. Like I wanted to see what it would be like to be in a club and we go to this club and then Bernard found out that I was there. So he wasn't going to come out that night, but then he like hightailed it there because I was there. And so we're like there dancing and like my friend, she was with me. And then at one point some guy grabbed her hand and like wouldn't let go and so I'm, like, trying to pull her. Like, we're freaking out. Like, what is this place? <laughs> You're like, we didn't know what we did. <laughs> so this is 2007. And so Bernard turns up at the club. And, of course, like, I'm like, yeah, because I feel like I look good. And here's this guy that wants me. And so we're dancing together. And this is all my, like, teenage fantasies. Because I grew up on a steady stream of like MTV movies, like although I was not allowed to watch it, like I knew how to find these music videos. Of course. And like I wanted like to be in the club. <laughs> and so here Bernard and I like dancing together and I'm doing my best to look all sexy. And I'm like, yeah, like this is just the height of coolness. Like look at me. And then – we would like dancing really close and then we kissed. <gasps> uh, and I was like, yes, like it was a very good kiss. And this was so like, look at me, this being a bad girl kissing boys in clubs. <laughs> but then afterwards, like it was like Bernard, like once we had gotten together, I was like, we cannot tell people that we our first kiss was in a club. Like, that is a bad story. Also, we people. cannot date because I'm trying to find out who I am these next six years. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for dancing with me at the club, but it's over. Yeah. So he was asking me out and he, he had been like pursuing me this whole time. And I'm just like, no, no, but now we've kissed. So we keep secretly hooking up. Smooching. You know, yep. Smooching, kissing and what have you. And he's still coming to church all the time. At the time, I'm still at Avondale mm -hmm. and the summer holidays are wrapping up. It's time to go back. He comes to my house the day I leave and he tells me, I think I'm falling in love with you. Mm. And I 
knew I did not feel the same way. So I just hugged him. You're like, cool, buddy. Yep. Sorry, and bees. Off. <laughs> yeah, no. Too bad, bro. And off I went back to college. But I was actually super miserable being at Avondale College. It has got to be one of the saddest and loneliest experiences for me. Mm-hmm being at Avondale and I wasn't enjoying it. But also I was studying international development because 17-year-old Karen who made this decision was going to was going to end poverty and change the world. I would just every weekend I would just come back to Sydney and I wouldn't stay mm. at Avondale because I wasn't enjoying it. I was lonely, I was sad and I I hated it. And after that semester I made the decision I'm going to leave university. I'm going to leave Avondale and come mm. back to Sydney and go to university here. All the while Bernard has been pursuing me and one night it was really late at night. He was Bernard's 5 years older than me, so he had already finished university. He's working full time. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. This is before I'd left Avondale and I was I was stuck on an assignment and it was due the next day. And he came to my parents' place and stayed there till like three o'clock in the morning to help me with my assignment. And I looked at this guy and I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I pushing this guy away and not like giving him a chance? Like he's this really great guy. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I decided, okay, like, I know I actually want this guy to be my boyfriend. And then a few weeks later, because Bernard had like, I guess, got into a point where he was, stopped asking me to date him and kind of was like, well, I'll leave it. The ball is in your court. You decide. And even though I had made the decision, it took me a few weeks to pluck up the courage to say, yes, I want to be your Mm -hmm. girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So I'm like 19 at this time. Anyway, so we date long distance for a little bit. And then I moved back after the end of the first semester, I moved back to Sydney and back home and now I've got to figure out like my next step. But before I left Avondale, I had a, it's, it's funny, like there are moments and things that happen to you. People say things to you and they just stick out so much. You don't forget those things. Mm-hmm. So I don't forget this, that one of the professors there, she said to me, she, she was like a guest lecturer. She worked at the other public university. And she said to me when I told her I was leaving, she's like, you won't make it at another university. Hmm. She's like, you're struggling here. You're not going to make it out there. And I just like couldn't believe that someone would say that to me. And in a way I was like, well, I'll show her. She doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I left came back to Sydney, went, moved back home, tried to figure out what I should do next. So looked for other courses and a, a uni not in Sydney was offering international development for the first time. So I could still fulfill this goal I had of, you know, ending poverty and changing the world because really I took that course because I, I just wanted to help people. And I actually partway through 2007 went back to South Africa because my grandma had cancer and we went back for a visit. And while I was gone, I thought, well, Bernard's not going to keep going if I'm not there. But while I was gone, he was there every week. And they actually, they do this thing here in Australia called Stormco, which stands for service to others really matters. 
And it's basically like a mission trip, volunteer trip. We would go to small country towns during the school holidays and we would do kids clubs and community service for small rural towns. Mm -hmm. And so he went on that while I was gone. And so when I came back, he's like best friends with everyone. And I was like, okay, but like, these are my friends. (laughs) What are you doing? But he was really determined that people would know him for who he is, not just as, oh, that's Karen's boyfriend. He wanted to have his own relationship with people. And so, yeah, so now like I'm at home, I'm studying, I've got this boyfriend. Bernard's getting more and more involved in church, but now he starts to have questions. Hmm. And I I would be so annoyed at his questioning because he wasn't questioning God and the belief in God, but he would question how we did things at church. And so like, remember my life has been steeped in Adventism. And so don't like, we don't question the church. Like the church is right. Hmm. We have the truth, but he would just like, always like pointing things out and pricking at things. And he would ask me, well, why do you do this? And why is this like that? And I, because I wasn't having my own belief in any way. I had just taken what my parents had given me, you know, copy paste. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And now this guy's questioning it. And I don't really have an answer other than like, well, that's just what I've been told or that's what my dad says. So that has to be right. And he would just challenge and challenge and challenge. And we used to fight, not about our relationship, but fight about church. The state of the dead or or how you were doing church. Was it the doctrinal things or was it like how we're like doing church? Just how we would do church. So like when, when we had to, you know, I, I don't know how other churches do it, but like when we need people to take up leadership positions, you have a group of people that come together and they call it the nominating committee. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, so they would come Sorry. together and then like decide, oh, who can like lead the children's ministry? Right, yeah. You know, and he would be like, why are you doing it like that? He's like, that doesn't seem right or fair. And I'd be like, what do you know? Like, shut up. Like, this is great. Stop pointing things out about You're ruining it. it. Yes. And, I mean, we were also going to, like, we would have youth Bible studies. And, you know, God works with us. But thank God he works in spite of us as well. Because I would sit in Bible studies. So, you know, as Adventists, we we believe when you die that it's like a sleep. Mm -hmm. And that when Jesus comes again, we will be raised up, right? Mm-hmm. And Bernard, coming from a Catholic background, believed that people who died were in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I sat in a Bible study, Richard, and with no care or concern or gentleness, I was like, no, people are not in heaven when they die. People are dead. They're dead. They're asleep. They don't know anything. Mm. Because that's the truth, right? I believe that's the biblical truth. So, like, you just have to accept this. Mm-hmm. But I got really upset and he walked out of that Bible study. And I, like, went after him and I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> Why are you upset? Why aren't you just accepting this truth? As Your I'm grandma's not in heaven, Bernard. Get over it. 
This is the truth, so just accept it. Mate, it's a thank God he came back because, geez, like, that is not nice. You were, you were really right. Like, your goal was to be right. Oh, yes. Because if I was right, then I had some assured assurance of, you know, God not being angry with me Hmm. or that I would make it to heaven if I was right. Mercy. Yeah. A couple of other, like, you know, but I bless him. He came and some people have said some weird, messed up things to him. And we thank God that the spirit moves and works despite what we sometimes do. For sure. Anyway, so this is like still, like nothing's really changed in my belief. Like I'm still disappointing God because I don't do enough of the stuff, but I'm very involved in church and Bernard's involved and we're just having a good time as young people. Um, I'm at uni and I am not doing well. Is that lady's voice in the back of your mind every time you don't do well? Yeah. I I have no explanation for that. I even went, I went and saw a psychologist, like a counsellor on the campus because I couldn't understand it. Uh, like I've always thought of myself as a very smart person. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, with my dad being a doctor and like my dad became a doctor in apartheid South Africa, when he wasn't allowed to attend the university that he wanted to, he had to get special permission and carry around a document anytime he was on campus to say, like, it's okay that he was there because he wasn't white. My mum didn't get to go to university because of the race riots that were happening at the time. So I felt like, well, I'm, I'm a smart person, and, and, and again, in a, in a very, what's the word? Like, I thought I was better than other people. Hmm. I thought I was smarter than other people. And so I thought, well, I've got to do university. I've got to graduate. I've got to get a good job because that's what smart, successful people do. And here's my dad who, like, defied the odds and became a doctor despite these challenges and my mum who hadn't who didn't get the chance to go to university and that was always like a big regret for her so I've got to do this thing but I can't like I like I just could not make myself you didn't have any motivation for it after after a while no motivation and I went to this counselor and she she was not very nice and she was like well you're just lying to yourself she's like you know we tell ourselves these lies and I was like, what are you talking about? I'm here because I am struggling. Anyway, I got a letter at the end of that year and it was like, you are not progressing. You know, your GPA is so low that we are not going to admit you. Like hmm. you need to give us good reason. So I wrote, I didn't tell my parents about this, but I wrote this letter back, you know, like making my case, pleading my case for why I should be allowed to continue with my studies because I needed to do this, right? Like I'm smart. I'm going to be successful. I need to do this. And again, the next semester would start and like due dates would come and go. I just did not care. I would still like attend classes randomly. I enjoyed what I was learning, but just could not make myself do any of the work. 
And then, of course, come the end of that year, you're you're failing or that semester even, like you're failing, Mm -hmm. you know, you need, you can't keep going. So then again, I write another letter about how, you know, no, I'm actually really dedicated and blah, 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 blah. You wanted to be. I wanted to be. But it just wasn't I did happening. want to be. It was not happening. And they gave me another chance. I suppose, I guess I was doing some of the work because it's not like I did nothing, but I guess not enough anyway. And so the end of that year, I like, I had to reckon with this, like, what, what is this? I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. This is costing me money. I'm, I'm clearly not actually doing this. And I had a long talk with one of my friends and she was talking about like, I've, that I've got to be true to myself. And if I know that this is not for me, it's okay to admit that and take a step back and figure out next steps. But because I want to do the right thing, I, I wanted to make my parents happy. I wanted their approval. Mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't let them down. And this was a very like, turbulent time in my life because it was I was like questioning who I believed I am who I was at the core right I'm not a person that fails I'm a smart person Hmm. like how can I not do this thing that I see all my friends doing because you know like all my friends from high school and other people were progressing in their studies and they were graduating and here I am I can't do this thing so I'm a failure I've ruined my life. I, my parents have sacrificed so much for my education and I can't get myself over the finish line. I'm a failure hmm. is, is what I felt at the time. How was I going to be successful? How were people going to know that I was smart? Like my dad's a doctor and, and look where I am compared to that. Hmm. And I really beat myself up about it and I felt worthless like I had no value and I would cry and struggle with God I would scream like what is wrong with me like fix me because I don't know what else to do and then I told my parents like I'm not gonna finish uni I'm dropping out I need some time to figure out my next steps and what I actually want out of life so I stopped work I stopped going to uni and I got a job a full-time job, a friend hooked me up actually with a pretty good job. I was like in recruitment for funnily enough for people who were graduating uni and they were getting internships with government departments. Mm -hmm. And so I worked as part of the psychometric assessments that people would do for a consulting company. And I got a job doing that. And at the same time, my relationship is progressing with Bernard and we've been together like a few years now and we're not having sex, so, you know, I, I'm feeling like I'm doing the right things. But now we've been together like three years, like I'm 22 at this point, and I feel like, well, where's this relationship going? We're not going to move in together. We're not having sex, but we, we, we need to move forward. We can't just stay stuck in mm-hmm. this spot. But at the same time, I felt like, Bernard wasn't into the relationship as much as I was. and So first, uh, he liked you more than you liked him, and now it seems like you're really into him and, and you don't feel like he's into you. Yeah, yeah. And so I felt like I was always chasing after him and 
wanting him to be a certain way and do things, and he just, like, wouldn't. I mean, there were, there were signs of this in the beginning. Like, we would be a couple, but he, he didn't want to hold my hand in public. And I'm a f- super affectionate person. And I was like, what the heck is up with this? Like, we're, we're a couple. Like, we need to hold hands. And he just, he didn't want to. Like, he was a, he, he would be, like, touchy in private, but not in public. And I remember one guy at our church didn't even know we were dating. He was like, oh, you guys dating? And that, like, made me so mad. They're like, see, Bernard, people don't even know we're dating because you won't hold my hand. <laughs> I was really mad about it. But so this this was a constant struggle between us. Like, I felt like he wasn't putting enough effort in and wasn't being loving enough, and I was always, like, on him about that. And so, like, after two and a half, nearly three years, I – had a serious talk with him and I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this because I'm not getting what I need in this relationship from you. And like, I love you, but I don't feel like you're really loving me back the way I need you to. So, you know, I'm really considering that this may be it. And so he like took some time, I suppose, like to think about this And I said, you know, I think we should spend some time apart, figure this out on our own, and then, yeah. And then after, like, a couple of weeks, Bernard came back to me and was, like, you know, worried. He's like, I don't want to lose you and I love you and I'm sorry that I haven't been doing the things that you need. Like, I will do those things from now on, I promise. And and so – I then also thought, well, you know, he's a really great guy. Like I would be silly to walk away from this. Like, okay, we'll stay together. And he, he did everything he promised he would. Like he was holding my hand and doing all the things that I wanted from him. Mm-hmm. And so that was like October 2010. And then, and, and I, like, I know you're going to have a chat to Bernard. He's got his own journey and story, but at this point he's working in IT. He's got a pretty good job and he then, oh, and then also like all throughout this. So he's still attending church, but I really needed him to be Adventist because before I could get married to him. Mm -hmm. One, because I thought like my parents would be upset if he wasn't Mm -hmm. like they wouldn't be happy and of course I I needed my parents approval and make them happy and so this is just like the focus and prayer all the time like God you know help Bernard to see like help him make the decision speak to his heart Holy Spirit and like any time we would be at any church function or event and there would be like a, a you know an altar call and they're like if you want to give your life to Jesus come down the front I would always be like sitting there like trying to like look at him out the corner of my eye <laughs> and you're like, is this the time? Is he going to go? Like, come on. And of course, everyone in my church at this time is like now praying because Bernard is super dedicated. He's there for everything. He's super passionate about all of this. And, and everyone just wants him to make that decision. You know, if he makes a decision to be baptized, then, you know, that's, that's the goal. So and he- interesting how we frame this stuff, isn't it? <laughs> oh, messed up in a way and where he even had like the pastor at our church at the time said to him you know Bernard you are like now inside this club 
great way to think about church. You're in this very special club, but there's a VIP section. And if you get baptized, then you can be in the VIP section. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Fix it, Jesus. Oh, gosh. So I, I, I'm sure Bernard probably felt all this pressure, like people praying for him, like he wanted to be in youth leadership and they wouldn't let him be in youth leadership because he wasn't baptized. I like so, how we use prayer as a form of manipulation. We're yeah. just like, well, you should pray about that, brother. Like <laughs> we have a difference of opinion. Well, you should pray, abro- <laughs> pray about that. In other words, like uh. you're way off, you're wrong. And so if yeah. you'll pray about it, God will tell you that I'm right. Yeah. Um, we just get weird. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so like towards the end of that year, the pastor at the time at our church was Gilbert Kanji. And he he had a very good relationship with Bernard. And one day he was preaching and he made a call and Bernard stood up. It was just a regular church service. And Bernard actually was on the drums. He had been playing for church and mm-hmm. he stood up. And actually, before that, I had decided, like, because Bernard and I would fight about that as well, like the fact that he wasn't baptized and how I really wanted him to be baptized and that I, I couldn't see our relationship becoming marriage if he, if he didn't get baptized. And we would argue about that. And then I had made a decision after we got back together that I would marry Bernard whether he was baptized or not because I could recognize I had, you know, gained a little bit of wisdom, teeny tiny bit, that what I was seeing in Bernard and his love and passion for Jesus was more important than if he had just ticked a box and said, yes, I'll get baptized. Because there were plenty of people that were baptized that were not showing love for Jesus or the passion or any of it. Hmm. And so I was like, that's actually not a bit of a silly prerequisite to make Bernard do. Mm. And anyway, so I had decided, no, I'll I'll marry him. Even if he didn't get baptized, he's here. He loves Jesus. Like that's the most important thing. He loves Jesus. And anyway, he makes a decision to get baptized. Like the whole church is like, (gasps) yeah. And then he decides like he's going to quit his job and go study to be a pastor. That's like a, a whole other story. But anyway, at the same time, he's making that decision those decisions, he's decided he's going to propose to me. And we, we actually were in America. We were on holiday in America with a bunch of friends and he proposed to me in New York in Central Park on a snowy, snowy night. And like, to me, this is like all my dreams come true, right? Because I just wanted to be married. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this guy and he had made all these promises like how he was going to be different and changed and he was <laughs> going to love me and, he, and I had seen that and he had my parents' blessing and I'm 22, so young, but at the time thinking like, yes, finally, we've been together for three years, finally he's proposing. And he proposes and we get engaged and but then he goes off to study post-grad theology and ministry for two years. So we have a two-year engagement because he's, oh, he's mercy. Gone, gone off to study. Yeah. And I, of course, I'm still, I'm not beating myself up as much anymore about being a failure, but I'm very aware of the fact that I didn't finish university. I'm lacking in a very big way, but whatever, I've got this job, I'm earning money, 
and I'm going to get married. Like that's all I ever it. wanted. Life yep. solved. Life. Dreams becoming true. And, and of course, like we're planning the wedding and we go off and we have premarital counseling and in a very smug way, I was like, we're not going to have premarital counseling with a pastor because that's a pastor. They're not counselors. They don't know. Uh, we're going to go to a counselor. And so we had five sessions with uh, a counselor and I was like, well, that's it. Like tick. We did the sessions we are going to be great at this. Hmm. We've put it all out there. There's going to be no issues. We're ready. And I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> we we got married and it was beautiful. And I think even before freedom, I was sincere in my love for Jesus. Absolutely. And Bernard and I were both very committed to that God needed to be a central part of our marriage and our relationship. And we knew, I knew that we would not make it as a married couple if we did not invite God to be a part of our marriage. And, and so we were both committed to that. And I also knew that divorce was not an option. No matter what would happen, we were going to work it out. That's right. So this is, this is what I'm believing. I'm like 24 at this point. And we get married and it's beautiful. And of course, like we still haven't had sex. Like Bernard's nearly 30, like nearly the 30 year old virgin. And that's another thing. Like my grandma always used to say to us when we were younger, you got to pray for a husband. Like God will bring you the person you need to pray for him. And I had dated some guys who weren't virgins and that put a lot of pressure on me. Like I was always very upfront, like, Sex, we're not having sex. Mm -hmm. But there was still this pressure, you know, to do things and sure. um, and not that I was perfect. And then that's another thing, like this whole like virginity thing, like you think because I don't have sexual intercourse, well, I waited and I did the right thing. It's like thing, the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. You're like, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm technically. Technically, yeah. And so I had a bad experience with a particular guy. And so I prayed to God, God, I need you to give me a virgin because I can't deal with this again. <laughs> it's an actual prayer I prayed. And then Bernard comes along and I know that he has been, you know, living his life in the clubs, hanging out with his friends. I have no guarantee that this is a belief of his as well. And when early on when we were dating, I like told him, look, I'm a virgin and this is like a non-negotiable when I'm not going to have sex. And then he told me he was a virgin too. I was like, well, this is it. This God, is, is what that you? For. <laughs> <laughs> yes. like, God has answered my prayer. And so we, we did it. Like we, we got to marriage, we waited and I was like, yes, like we did the right thing and we got married and we immediately I knew there was a problem. I just thought like, we're going to get married and it's going to be sex all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're young and married. Like this is what we've been waiting for. And like the day after we got married, I thought like, you know, we're not going to be good at it. It's our first time, but you know, this is the fun of it. You keep trying because now you can, you can have as much as you want. And the second day we were married, I said, yeah, 
where did, yeah, Bernard didn't want to have sex. And I was a little bit confused by that, but I was like, okay, like, you know, it's been a big week, like he's tired, like we got a lot going on. And then it kept happening like that the whole week after we got married. Like, and I was confused more than anything, disappointed. Mm -hmm. And then we went on our honeymoon. We had like a few days in between and we went to our honeymoon. And uh, like we obviously had sex on our honeymoon, but not that much, like hardly at all. We watched a lot of TV, (laughs) which for me was super disappointing because I had all these dreams and ideas of what being Mm -hmm. on my honeymoon would be like, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't shaping up to be like that. And I remember one night like crying because I was like, this is not what I'd hoped for. And I wanted you to have a really good experience and it's not turning out to be like that. And Bernard's like comforting me, but I'm just like, okay, this is all new. We don't really know what we're doing. Like we'll figure this thing out. And then we got back from our honeymoon and, you know, went to work and whatever. And then it was Valentine's day. And I was like, well, Valentine's day, the most romantic day of the year. We're now married. Like this is going to be it. And I had planned all this special stuff and Bernard found a way, like without actually obviously saying it, to avoid being intimate with me. Mm-hmm. And like at that point, I just knew something is not right here. This is not normal. And of course, like we get taught that men want sex all the time. Like this is their sole focus, right? Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with this guy? Like, so I'm feeling like confused, a bit rejected, and Bernard doesn't really seem to want to talk about it. So I'm trying to spare his feelings and, you know, we've, we've moved in together, we've got an apartment and there's a lot of news and first, like we never really shared a bed before we got married. So like even just being in bed, like the first few weeks almost of our marriage, we would fall asleep like face to face, like holding each other because That's we were so, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we were just so excited that we got to be in bed together. Like forget the sex, like just being able to hold each other in bed. Like that was so cool, but nothing else was happening. And so then I'm like racking my brain. Like, I'm like, well, maybe it's because of this contraception I'm on, or maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And we would go to bed and I would like try and give signals that, you know, I'm into, I want something, let's do this. And Bernard would like be really good at just dodging it. And so I'm kind of heartbroken now Mm -hmm. and confused and, trying to find answers and starting to think things like, well, maybe he's gay. Like maybe he just really wanted to be a pastor and I would be like a good cover as a pastor's wife, but actually he's gay and he can't be a pastor and be gay. So, you know, in our context, so I'm like a band aid for that. Or then I'd be like, maybe something really bad happened to him. Like, but again, not talking about it. We're not having conversations. And I would just be super frustrated and upset. Hmm. And so 
this is happening, but like at the same time, our relationship, we're having a good time. You know, like it's not like every single day was this sad, bad, me confused. Our relationship in other ways was growing and developing and I was enjoying, I enjoyed being married. I enjoyed having our place together and it was all new and exciting. And Bernard worked as a, at a church and I worked in the city and, you know, we were just like living our life, but there's this very big secret going on now because things are not working out. So we go, we, I, after like a year of this, basically like a year of, it not happening and us having fights about it. We go and see a counsellor and explain the situation and the counsellor says to us, like, you know, he's not really, he doesn't deal with sexual dysfunction. Like, we need to see an actual sex therapist. So we had a session, Bernard had a session with him as well by himself because, like, now in my mind I'm like, Bernard's the problem. Like, I want to have sex Bernard doesn't. He's the problem. Like we need to fix him, figure out what's wrong with him. But also I'm like looking to him for answers, but he's not offering me anything. Like, I'm like, why is this like this? And I'm trying to be delicate and careful with how I say these things. I'm like, but why is this like this? And then the therapist, our therapist was the same one we had done premarital counseling with. He referred us to someone, but it took maybe like a year about a year to pluck up the courage to even call that therapist. Mm -hmm. And so like our anniversary would roll around and we would like try, I guess it's our anniversary. So we'd try and have sex then, but then the rest of the year it's not happening and nothing is happening. Like I, you know, it was like if, if Bernard and I were kissing, he would like kiss me for a short bit of time because I guess he didn't want it to get any further than that. So now it's progressed to like, I feel super rejected. I, Bernard is, I'm like pressing him, like, why? What is it? What is it? Why don't you want to have sex? Like, what's the problem? Like, and Bernard starts to offer up some reasons. And some of those reasons were like, like a punch to the gut because it felt like, it was my fault, like my fault that he didn't want to have sex with me. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And already like I'm in this job and the job that I got after I left uni and it's, and the job is not good anymore. It's a toxic world culture. I don't want to be there anymore, but now I feel like I have no options because I didn't finish university. So I'm like, where am I going to go to? Like, what could my next step be? And this is when I decide, okay, I'm going to go be a pastry chef. And I went and I left my job and Bernard was the only one working and I went to go study to be a pastry chef. Your and value and and identity and self-esteem has got to be pretty shot at this point. A hundred percent. I'm a failure at university. I have no options as a career. I'm 25 and trying to still figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. My husband doesn't seem to be physically attracted to me, doesn't want to be intimate with me. But one thing that I'm really good at is like pushing those things down. 
I'm just going to focus on the positive. Our relationship had a lot of positives. I was just going to lean into that. And I was enjoying my pastry course. So I'm just going to like not think about those things. Because if I think about those things too much, if I dwell on those things too much, then it like it hurts Mm -hmm. and it feels super emotional and it's hard. And there were many, many nights that I would lie in bed after once again trying to give the hints that I want some intimacy and Bernard shutting it down, that I would just cry silently lying in bed, Bernard sleeping next to me, and I'm screaming out to God. I waited. I waited to have sex. Why am I not being rewarded for my sacrifice? Hmm. Why am I not being given this thing that I want so badly? Why aren't you fixing this? Like I've been praying to you to fix this and you're not fixing it. Like where are you? Because it would it would feel so painful at times. Like this the person that I thought would love me more than anything and I guess in a way like love me in a way that only God could love me because like at this point I have put my marriage and Bernard up on this pedestal that he was everything to me. So any kind of like action or inaction in his part, I would live and die by that. Like if he was loving and sweet and kind, I was like, well, our marriage is really good and I'm going to be really happy and like this is all great. And then if he did something that disappointed me in some way or or like, you know, didn't want to be intimate with me, then like that would that would be like a crushing blow for me and hurt me so much. And I like, I felt really alone. I couldn't talk to anyone about this. Like who wants to admit this to anyone? It's like a very private thing. Then eventually we, we pluck up the courage and I convinced Bernard to go see this therapist, the sex therapist. That didn't really go that well because she basically was like, well, Bernard, this is your problem. Like, you are the issue here. And I at the time was like, yes, like, good. He is the issue. Point it out. I'm not the problem. He's the problem. I'm glad someone is saying this. She obviously didn't say it in that way. Right. She had her way of saying it. But I remember after that session, Bernard called me and he was really upset that that the lady had said that, the therapist had said that. And I was like, but you are the problem. Like, why can't you see this? Like, this is your problem. I want to be intimate with you. You don't want to be intimate with me. Why don't you get what's going on here? And, but of course I'm trying to be delicate because it's, it's a sensitive topic. It's a delicate topic. We, you know, we thought all kinds of things, Bernard was getting tested for a whole bunch of different things to, cause we're trying to figure out like, why doesn't he want to anyway? And then, so that, that therapy didn't work out. And we stopped going and that was like kind of it. Like you, you get really good at just accepting like that's your normal, you know, like you can't live in this high emotional state all the time. So I just accepted, well, this is kind of what our life is like. Focus on the good things. Our relationship in a lot of other ways was amazing. And I, I would have character characterize and I still do like we had a good marriage we were happy in other ways 
It's just this like this one bit over here that we're just not going to look at. Mm-hmm. So like I would be fine for a, for a while, but then there would be things that would remind me. And then when I would be reminded that all my hopes and dreams of being what marriage would look like, I had all these fantasies in my head of what going on holiday would be like and all the places we would be intimate and, you know, Sunday mornings in bed together and, you know, all these ideas I had, I would lie there usually as I'm falling asleep and I would just cry and feel so low because this thing is not working Mm -hmm. and I couldn't see a way out and I couldn't see a way forward and I'm praying to God and he's not doing anything. And so, like, then you start to... Because because you can't understand what's going on, you start to like you you start to try to come up with explanations. So then I would think like, okay, well maybe God is trying to teach me something. Maybe there's something that I am meant to be learning from this. Maybe there's something in me that God is trying to work out in me. And although he's not causing the situation, he's going to use the situation to refine me and make me a better person and a better Christian. Because if he's not fixing it, what else is he doing? Hmm. This is what my thought is. So there must be a purpose to this. Like I can't just be hurt and in pain and there be no reason for it. And so like this is what it's like now for eight years. Eight years, essentially, we're living in a sexless marriage. And it kind of all came to a head at the beginning of 2021 where I just felt like I can't do this anymore. I'm starting to think like I've got two options here. Either I accept that I'm not going to have a normal marriage because now it just feels like, well, we're, we're roommates. We're really good roommates, like really good friends. We, we have this deep intimacy, but it's not physical. So Like I used to think things like, you know, anyone could be lying in the bed next to me because this is not happening in a, in a, in a husband and wife kind of way. So that could be Joe from down the road. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was, I was angry. I was angry at Bernard. I was angry at God. I was hurt and like, so I felt so wounded and, and again, like questioned my value and worth because if my husband loved me for who I am, why couldn't he make this happen? So I felt like, well, who I am is not enough. All the ways I love Bernard and show him I love him, all the all the the, the good value, like the value I bring, all my good characteristics, they don't mean anything. This is like how I'm feeling. And so now I felt like I'm faced with a choice. Like I either have to learn to accept that I'm just not ever going to have sex again in my life or I have to leave and we have to separate. And I didn't want either of those things. I didn't want to have to accept that this was my reality and I also didn't want to break our marriage up. So I said to Bernard, like, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I can't deal with this anymore. We, we, we have to do something. We are, we are going to figure this out. We have to do something. And here is God's providence again. We, 
I asked a friend for a, for a referral. She was seeing a, a, ther- a sex therapist at the time herself, and she referred me to that person. Spoke to that person. That person couldn't see us, but she gave us a list of people that we could. She would encourage us or would recommend. Top of that list was the therapist we had been to before, <laughs> who yeah, didn't do so well. Yeah. So I was like, okay, just cross that one off the list, and I just went down the list did a little bit of research on each person and found this person called Amanda and was like, okay, we'll go with her. We had our first session online because she doesn't live here in Sydney and like it was good. And I felt like, okay, good. Like, you know, I'm grateful that Bernard is showing up and he's going to face this and we're going to talk about it and we're going to deal with it and we're going to go to therapy and it's going to fix it. Right. Like, in a way, you think therapy is like just the answer. If I turn up to therapy, then that will fix the problems. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that is not how it works. <laughs> and she she then started this, this process with us where she was like, you have a lot of unhelpful narratives in your relationship and we need to break those down first before we can build up healthy, connected intimacy. And I was like, no. When our relationship is fine, we have a sex problem. Like, that's what we need to deal with. Mm. And it's like, well, we can't do that until we look at the relationship. And so Bernard and I then had therapy, like, very sporadically. And, like, it was hard mm-hmm. and things were coming up. Things for me mm. as well. Like, she would have sessions with us one-on-one. And things came up in those sessions about who I believed myself to be, my value and my self-worth. Because up until this point, Richard, like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an extroverted person. I come across very confident. Like, I, I'm, I like to make jokes and, like, you know, I like to be around a lot of people. So I've, I thought of myself, you know, like, I'm a confident person. Like, yeah, there's things that I don't love about myself, but, you know, I'm not a person who has negative self-talk and, like, you know, bad self-esteem and whatever and I don't but I guess the way I had learned to cope with the the perceived rejection from Bernard the way I had learned to cope with what the fact that I didn't finish uni and the fact that I you know I really wanted to be impressive to people I wanted people to be like oh Karen's a lawyer Karen's a doctor she's so smart like you know, well, that's amazing. I wanted those things. And because I hadn't achieved any of those things, like I would think of myself as, well, I, I haven't, I'm not impressive. Like I'm not that good at my job. Like all, all these factors come like these little lies. I know now lies come in and we start to believe things that are just not true about ourselves. So in my job, I would compare myself to the person who had the job before me. And I was like, I'm not as good as her. Like she would do a way better job than me. She's so much smarter than me. I'm like, I can't really do this. I don't even know where this came in, but I also really thought of myself as lazy. I'm like, I don't work hard. If you work hard, you achieve. And I haven't achieved. So I'm a lazy person Mm. and I, I, I can't be confident at work, I can't be confident in my skills because I didn't go to university. So I've got, I've got nothing to back this up. And it was actually pointed out by my manager. Like she was like, you know, you know really well how to do this job, but you don't come across like, you know, Mm. and that kind of hit me 
because then I realized, yeah, like that's not how I think of myself. So then in the therapy, this stuff is coming up. And I think because I didn't want to stand there and look at myself in the mirror and be like, well, Karen, you are crap. You suck. Like Mm -hmm. I just would not look at myself. Mm. I also like had a body image issue. Like I had, since the time I got married, I had steadily gained weight And again, so then that becomes a thing. Well, I guess maybe Bernard doesn't want to have sex with me because I I'm gained weight. Like I'm not attractive anymore. So then I would just not look at myself in the Mm. mirror because if I looked too long, I would find things and I would actually be like disgusted. Like I'd be like, Oh yuck. Like, look at that. So I would, I decided to shift my focus and being like, okay, well, I'm not going to focus on how I look. I don't fit any kind of ideal beauty standard. So I'm just going to focus on what my body can do for me. Like this body allows me to go to work. This body allows me to care for people. This body, I have been able to travel. Look at all the things I can do because of this body. So I'm not going to hate my body. I'm not going to look at it, but I'm going to be grateful for what it does in a very like utilitarian kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so now this is coming up in therapy. And like, I had to sit there and admit things to the therapist and Bernard that I never wanted to say out loud to anyone. And it hurt. It hurt to like admit that that's how I saw myself. Like I had always known that I had value, but like, it's like you can know it and not believe it. Right. And I knew it, but I didn't believe it. Mercy. So I sat there and I said, to Bernard, you know, I feel like you're disgusted with me. This mm. is why you won't, you won't be intimate with me because you find me disgusting. And this is like some of these narratives that we had built up because we, we weren't talking, we weren't communicating. So you just make assumptions. Sure. And uh, like, yeah, so th- this is all the things that are coming up in therapy. And honestly, Richard, like, our, our therapist is not a Christian, but I believe God sent it to us because we just broke all these lies. There were lots of things that Bernard and I were believing that just were not true mm. because we never, we wanted to spare the other person's feelings. I wouldn't be honest with how I was feeling. Bernard wouldn't be honest with where he was at. So we would make assumptions about how the other person was feeling. So because Bernard never wanted to talk about the, the intimacy issue, I just thought, well, he doesn't care. He's he's just fine with this. He doesn't care about how this makes me feel. Like he doesn't, he, he's just living his life. And I'm the one sitting over here in pain, like trying to figure this out. And he's just living his life. But, but like that just wasn't true, you know, but we, we had built all, so we had to break that down. And honestly, being honest really honest Mm. and not taking offense from the honesty is what changed so much for us. Now it was like finally all out on the table and it felt like, okay, now we're building something that is, is real and it's honest and it's really who we are. And I felt like, yes, like, this is so good. Like, look, look what God is doing in our relationship. Like, it's finally getting there. Like, and this had been over eight, nine months. So it's like December of 2021 now. 
you know, it felt like our relationship just went to another level. And I was like, this is working. Like we're not, we're not there with the, the, the intimacy, physical intimacy, but that's fine. Like our relationship is being healed in really great ways and we can be honest with each other. And she's giving us all these really great strategies so we can communicate better. And like, I'm like feeling really positive and great about this. Of course, though, the, the journey in therapy is up and down and you can feel really great one time. And then the next time something else can happen. And then it feels like, oh, we're not making any progress. We're not getting anywhere. And then that's what it felt like a lot. So fast forward to like maybe March, April of this year, I have been following this girl called Melissa. I think her handle is like a girl in a Bible, something like that on Instagram. Melissa, uh, unmistakably Melissa. That's the one. Yeah. So I also like at the same time. She was my student worker back in, uh, when she went to union for one year and she was my, she was a student worker. It wasn't mine, but I I got to know her that year. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So I like, you know, things are going on concurrently. So we're going through this journey, but at the same time, spiritually for me, I'm starting to feel like I, there is so much that I to have just accepted as Bible truth, but I don't actually know if it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that we just get taught culturally and I was like, I need to figure these things out for myself. I'm going to, and then I learned about people are like deconstructing their faith. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I need to like break it all down hmm. and start again so that I know for myself, not just because I've heard it in a sermon or because someone told me, like I know the, the truth of the matter for myself. And so I signed up for an online Bible course and I did it in fits and bursts. And then it would just, you know, life would get busy and I would just Was put this it aside. with Melissa or how did how did No, she... no. This was this was separate. This was something else. And but Melissa, I'd started following her. So she was the first person on Instagram that I had ever followed who was like sharing the gospel or the Bible in any kind of way. Up in that point, like my Instagram was like, you know, for food videos and pretty dresses and travel videos. (laughs) It wasn't. Yeah. So she was the first person and she was like sharing a lot of things that kind of would make me think like, I was like, Oh, hang on a second. Like that's not what I thought or believed. And, and I was enjoying her content. And then she would share a couple of things, I think from Justin Koo. And I was like, okay, like that kind of makes sense but not really like engaging in any kind of way. It's just like, oh yeah, I read this post. Like, yeah, what Melissa's saying is so great. I'm going to like that. And then I think, then I start because she had, I think she had shared something about Justin's or said something. So I followed Justin Koo. And so then he's like posting stuff and I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, cool. This is all a bit different from what I know, but also I'm not really going to delve into it too much. You know, I'm busy. What was some um, of the stuff that was just popping out a little bit? Like, Particularly, like, Melissa would talk about, like, she would point out a lot of our practices, like, as Adventist and how, like, the the, the meaning we attach to it is not actually there and God actually doesn't need any of that from us. Hmm. And I would be like, huh? God doesn't need anything from me? I don't, I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> like, God wants me to do stuff. Like, i I got to do stuff. Can't just sit here and 
yeah, so I was like, yeah, okay, but like that challenges a little bit, but I'm not really going to. And then like Justin would talk about like free from sin. I was like, I was like, this guy can't be an Adventist. He doesn't know the truth of the matter. Like that's not right. <laughs> but whatever, keep going. And then there was a, a video got shared to me by someone that I, I really respected and, and love. And the video was basically like, if you don't fix your life, you're going to hell. Like if you don't, if, if oh the goodness. people, the young people of this day don't give up the movies and the music, like that is a, like a, God is not happy and in the end you will be lost. And I got that video and I watched it. It was like an hour and a half sermon. I watched all of it and I bawled my eyes out because I felt, I felt so conflicted by it. I felt like scared by it. I was filled with fear. Like I, it just, it made me feel super uncomfortable and I didn't, I didn't, I was like, surely this can't be true, but maybe it is true. And Bernard and I had a, a long conversation because it's it's that kind of material, it's that kind of message that would always make me feel like, oh, I can't be I can't be sure of my salvation. Like my salvation is there, but it's very dependent on the choices I make and what I do. So I can never really be that secure. So I would always like live in fear that I was like one wrong move away from losing my salvation. Hmm. That like if Jesus came at a particular time and I hadn't asked for forgiveness, well, then I would not be going to heaven because I hadn't repented at that point. And so Bernard like talked me through this because this is not the stuff that Bernard believes. And he was talking to me and like calmed me down a bit. And then like a few, maybe a couple of weeks after that, Ruth, because I started following her on Instagram, we reconnected. She posted this this post like on her on her stories that was like, and I'm upset that I didn't save it, but it's basically like, imagine you're sitting next to Jesus and you're under on a bench and it's a beautiful day and you're at peace and all is good. And I read that and I was like, that sounds so beautiful. And I realized that that is not my experience. My relationship with God does not bring me peace. It is filled more with like fear and anxiety and striving, Hmm. like always feeling like I need to be doing more and better because there's this ideal that I'm meant to reach and I'm not reaching that ideal. So I am a disappointment all the time because I'm not getting to where God wants me to be. Hmm. And when I felt that, like I felt a real sadness, like this is not good. Like you, Jesus talks about, you know, take my, my yoke because my burden is light. And I was like, no, the burden of Christianity is not light. It's actually super heavy and it's hard and I don't know what you're talking about when you're saying that my burden is light. And so then, of course, my first reaction is like, well, I've got to fix this. Like if my relationship with God is not giving me peace, I've got to fix this. And how am I going to fix this? Well, I just got to read my Bible more. If I just knew more about God, 
And if I just prayed more and was consistent in Bible study, then I could get there. Like there's always some goal, some finish line somewhere that I need to be getting to. And if I just read more and know more, then I will be better. And that's also when I like, this is all like happening around the same time. Justin, I've seen Justin stuff like every day. Cause you know, the more you interact with people on sure. Instagram, like, the, like this stuff, the more, yep. So like every morning I would open my Instagram and there's Justin with a new message about freedom from sin. And I was like, well, that sounds like really nice, but that's not for me. That's not been my experience. And Bernard had talked about this kind of stuff before, like that, you know, when you're in the spirit, you know, we're free and we don't need to worry. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I argued with him. <laughs> Actually me and a friend, we had a full on argument with him. We're like, what you're talking about is perfection. And we won't get to perfection this side of eternity. So you're wrong. Like you don't know what you're talking about. And then I came Justin like dealing, watching more of his posts. And then he talked about internet church. I was like, okay, like I'll go along to that and see what they have to say. Like I want to know more, like I'm intrigued by this because I'm feeling not great in my relationship with God. He's talking about freedom. I don't feel free. Like let, let me go see what this is about. I go to internet church. People are talking, people are saying all kinds of things that I'm not really understanding. And the, and Jonathan recognized me. So I knew Jonathan from when Jonathan had been in Australia for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I like, we didn't really see each other that much at the time because I was trying to be a good girl. Right. And Jonathan was not trying to be a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) This is a joke. (laughs) He was driving. Um, He was the bus driver for a music group out there for a year. I think same music group that Tyler ended up playing with uh, while he was in college. So we got some ties to Australia. Yes. And he like, the, the guys that Jonathan became friends, some of the people that he had become friends with are the people that Bernard and I, that's how Bernard and I actually met each other. Oh, okay. So Jonathan was friends with this guy called Ryan. Ryan was in the soccer team that Bernard was in. And that's how, and that's even how I knew who Jonathan was because of that group of people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Jonathan is like, is that Karen from Australia? And I was like, hi, Jonathan. And I think because, like, I had been, I mean, Bernard and I had been in therapy, but it felt like it wasn't going anywhere. I was, like, deep in that pain. Like, I was so the victim. Like, you know, I really believed I was the victim. And deep, just, like, all in that. And I remember asking the question that, like, because I think we were talking about suffering or something and I asked the question about like you know what what would the purpose be you know there has to be purpose to the pain otherwise like why am I just going through this and then I think Jonathan started to preach gospel to me talking about how we are free and you know that God doesn't want things these bad things to happen for us and 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 I was like well that sounds really nice I'd love to have that one day And, and Jonathan was like no but that's yours now and I was like, eh, now? He's like, yes, this, what we're talking about, being free from, from sin, the, the power and the spirit of God being in you, that is yours now. And, and 
I was like nodding along, but in my head, I'm like, well, that sounds nice, but I, that's not my experience. Like, I don't really get what do you mean? Like it's mine now. What, but what do I have to do? Right. Because that's always the, the, the natural thing is like, okay, but what do I do? Mm -hmm. If it's mine now, how do I get it? Like, what are the steps? And, but I was, I really enjoyed it. I was like, if this is actually possible for my life, then that would be really good. Because again, like I'm tired. Like when I realized that my relationship with God was not peaceful, I'm like, I'm actually really tired. I am tired of the striving. I am tired of trying and never getting there. And again, just another message in my life of how I'm not good enough. I didn't feel good enough at work or in my career because I didn't go to, I didn't finish uni. Not feeling good enough in my marriage because my husband is not being interested in having intimacy with me. And in my Christian walk, I'm not good enough either because I would see all these other Christian people and I would think about the the people in the Bible and how close they were to God. And I was like, I don't feel that closeness to God. God. God doesn't talk to me. And again, just another place where I'm not good enough. And then I started, then people started talking about the death to life podcast. And that that's the know, podcast that we're that. on right now. Isn't that <laughs> crazy? Wait, hold up. You went to internet church just on the strength of Justin Koo and his videos and curiosity. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm looking for something different, right? Like Searching. everything I'm doing up until this point is not working out for me. And I did it. I didn't. I'm like, someone's got to have an answer somewhere. I don't know where that answer is. I don't know how to get the answer to fix what I'm experiencing. Right. I need a fix. So you're just out for You're just open now to whatever's clever. You're just like, yeah, that he seems happy. Let me see what yes. he's talking about with this internet church. Okay. Yes. And so then and at an internet church, then you hear about after, and I'm just, I'm watching this in real time. You know, I'm seeing Jonathan say this. So I'm like, hopefully what he's saying is striking a chord here that she can start thinking about this because I know she's not living free. That's what that's I'm it. usually thinking. And you were a hundred percent right. It was striking a chord. Because it's like I knew it was something that I wanted, but I didn't know how to get it. And people telling you that you've got it is super confusing. I'm like, well, if I've got it, where is it? Because I don't seem to have it. <laughs> like you're saying I've got it, but maybe I've misplaced it somewhere yeah. because I, I don't have it. I don't have what it's you're talking about. It's not my experience. About. No. And then I started to listen to the Death to Life podcast. And my first one that I listened to was Eddie. Why'd you pick Pony. Eddie? Was that just the the most recent one? Yeah. Oh, and because I saw like it was him and his wife and their story together. I was like, okay, cool. Like that could be a nice little And you didn't series. know anything about Eddie at all? No, never heard of him in my life. Shout out to Eddie because he's editing this podcast right now. What's up, my boy? <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. And... So I listened to that, heard his story, heard, you know, about the infidelity. And How did that hit you when, you when you realized, oh, this podcast is heading this way? Oh, mercy. Like, how did that hit you? I was like, well, thank goodness people are being honest somewhere. 
because I feel like so much in my Christian experience, like we just want people to like, and I did the same thing. Like I just wanted to look good on the outside. So I did all the things that looked good on the outside, but no one's being honest. No one is saying like, well, you know, actually I'm really struggling, you know, like no one, everyone is like just trying to put up this front of like, oh, you know, we're so good. God has got us. We're so good. But inside you're not good. Like you're not having a good time. Things are not going well. And so I'm like, wow, like the brutal honesty of it all. I was like, whoa. So I was at first like struck by the honesty and then when he talked about, and like spoilers, sorry if you haven't heard Eddie's podcast yet, but when he talked about that he didn't feel guilty about the infidelity, I was shook. <laughs> I was like, what? Not like, I, okay, I understand that you're starting to under, like forget that you're forgiven, but you can be forgiven and feel bad, like, that's okay. That's what I thought at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't feel a little bit bad. Your wife is eight months pregnant and you don't feel a little bit bad. I just, I couldn't, I mean, like at the end of it, I was bawling my eyes out because I just got this sense of how loved he felt. And the way he was talking about it was, you could, I could feel the, the passion, the deep gratefulness. I could sense all of that, but still was like, but you don't feel bad. Like, this is not right. Did you, did you understand what, what he meant by all of that? No, I didn't. Hmm. I, I, like, I was like, no, you, you need to make up for what you've done. Like, there needs to be a time of like, you feel bad. And then you show how bad you feel and then you can move on. But you've, you've got to get across how bad you feel because that's also, again, the way in which I related to God. Like if I messed up, my prayers were super like, Lord, I'm just, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I, I keep doing these things, but you, you can help me God. And like groveling and begging for forgiveness because yeah. you've got to show how bad you feel about doing the bad things. Otherwise, how will God know? <laughs> and the truth is, you can't feel bad enough. Like in reality, you can't feel bad enough. How bad you feel doesn't put a drop on what sin actually is and the penalty of sin. Mm. Like you mm. can't, you cannot feel bad enough. And the purpose of feeling bad, well, Paul talks about godly sorrow and he compares it and contrasts it to regret. Mm. And he says that one leads to death and the other leads to repentance. Mm. So the purpose of feeling bad is fulfilled in turning from the thing. Yeah. But we don't we didn't understand that. No. <laughs> we thought even if I'm forgiven I have to feel bad for a certain amount of time. And how long is that amount of time? Well, I guess it's based on the gravity of the sin. So, yeah. like, if I lied, I don't. I can feel bad for thirty minutes and then I'm good. But if I cheated <laughs> on my wife while she was eight months pregnant, I've got to. I got to kill myself for like three years, and then maybe yeah. I can come out from under my rock. Yeah. Also, like, I mean, it's definitely not the same thing. But I had been cheated on in a previous relationship, not another person. And also one of my really good friends, like, 
her dad cheated on her mum. And also last year I found out about another friend who had cheated on his wife. Oh, it happens just, all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, I see the fallout from that and the devastation and the pain. Sure. So I'm like, you've just ruined someone's life. How can you not feel bad? Yeah. And then I go and listen to Jada's story. Jayla, sorry. And then she talks about how the spirit spoke to her and told her not to take it personally. And I was like, what? But then at the same time, connecting so much with that because everything that had been happening in my own marriage felt like a personal attack. Every time Bernard did not show any interest in me physically, would, not re- would, would reject my advances or whatever, that felt like a personal, he doesn't love me. Mm. Here's the evidence of how Bernard doesn't love me. He's rejecting me. I'm not enough. The fact that I love him doesn't mean anything to him. That, that, like, that's what was going on. And so when she's like, don't take it personally, I was like, wow, that's an option? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. Because, because the truth is when you're taking it personally, like you're believing all of these lies about yourself. It stops mm-hmm. being about them and whatever mm-hmm. they're dealing with and maybe mm-hmm. the fact that they might be suffering or that, especially when it comes to issues like a low desire partner and a high desire partner. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth is the low desire partner most of the time doesn't even want to be the low desire partner, but we yeah. don't know that. But, no. And so it stops being about them and then it's just like, I'm trash. And that's because the enemy of our soul is just like, you're trash. Yeah. And we think it's ourselves or we think it's just, this must be true about me because yeah. this is what my circumstance is saying. Yeah, 100%. And I... Yeah, I, I just I was like, don't take it personally. But also I, she said that and I was like, okay. But I, I was also like, how can I not take what's happening to me personally? This is about me. My husband doesn't not want to be intimate with uh, someone else. He doesn't want to be intimate with me. This is about me. Yeah. So this is like challenging. It's, it's like challenging everything that I'm believing And then I came to internet church again. And this time, I think I came a second time by myself. But again, like I spoke up and I came just wanting to hear, but I would speak up. And then I think you were like asking me questions and being like, you know, pointing stuff out. And I was like, like, what you're saying makes sense, but it's, it's not connecting or hitting home with me really like I, I I don't really get it and so this process like I honestly thought like if if what you guys are talking about would ever be true for me it would be like I'd come to a realization and then bam I would realize I'm free from sin I'm a new creation I have a new heart God loves me but it didn't happen like that for me it's like the truth of it all was like incremental and, and, and I came to understand and believe like bits and pieces of it, like putting it together like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, and, and a lot of that happened through listening to the podcast. So I like, I quit my job in July and I knew I needed something else. I needed 
to to do something different. I had a great job, been there for six and a half years, but it's time to move on. And I'm trying to figure out what that is. And again, the messages of like, well, of course you don't know your next steps because you didn't finish uni. Mm-hmm. Of course you don't know what you want in life because you still haven't figured that out yet because, you know, you're a bit of a failure and you didn't do that well at your last job, even though that definitely wasn't true. And so, like, I'm grappling with those beliefs but at the same time I'm listening to the podcast and I'm hearing how people are becoming free and I'm every one I'm listening to I'm resonating in some way with it I'm like I see myself I'm like yes that's what I believed yes like I did believe I was trash yes I believe God didn't love me or forgave me and I'm starting to like get this more I'm like yeah, maybe I am free. Like what everyone's saying, especially when I started to dig more into like the materials of it and like, you know, what you guys are talking about from Romans, I'm like seeing it differently. Like I, I've, I've read Romans many times but completely missed this. And so when we w- I would come to Internet Church again and people would pick out specific verses and they're talking about it, I was like, yes, this is actually true and then why was it true because i think think what you're doing is you're putting a different lens on before it was true if it had been your experience and oh now the bible is matching up with my experience so yes this part of the bible is true but it seems like you're thinking about it differently yeah i think it i think that the, the biggest point came when one night we'd actually been at my parents' house for dinner and I, we came home and we were lying in bed and this is what I would often do. I would pray and I would start my prayer. I was like, dear father. And this is the spirit speaking to me as I'm lying in bed. I said, dear father. I was like, father, father, that word. My dad, as I said before, is a very black and white thinker there's very straight, easy, right and wrongs. But when I said father in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness, God is my father. I had said it, but it's like I didn't connect it. And then I thought about my own dad and I thought about what my own dad wouldn't do for me. I have had, there's been lots of things where I've seen my dad show up for me, be loving, kind, gracious towards me when I didn't deserve it. And in that moment, I was lying in bed and I thought, you know, if I was on the streets selling drugs, cheating on Bernard, high off my face, whatever the thing is like that I could have been doing that would have been so awful. If I called my dad at three o'clock in the morning to come and get me, he would come and get me. Even if he didn't agree with what I was doing, he would come and get me. And that's what my that's my dad here on earth, who's not God. So when I said father, it was like really for the first time that yes, he is my father. And and in that moment I remembered all the times that you guys were talking about, like, we are his kids. How do good fathers treat their kids? And it like hit me in that moment. I'm his kid. He's not mad at me. He's not disappointed in me. He's not 
He doesn't want things from me. He just wants me to be his kid. And I never got that before. That, 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 I think that was like a pivotal moment, like of all the things that I had been learning, like, and if I am so loved in that way, I know how loved I am because I'm his child. What, what good thing would he hold back from me? So when he says that when you have Jesus, when you, that same spirit that is in Jesus is in you, that's true because I'm his child. Why wouldn't he give me every good thing? Mm-hmm. When he says that you, you, we are righteous and we're not sinners, that's true because I'm his child, because he loves me. He loves me. And I just, I had said that so many times before, Richard, but it's, it's like I knew it in my head, but I didn't know it in my heart and my soul. And now, like, I, I was getting to the truth of it. I am loved. There's a question I love to ask people. What do you know for sure? And the thing I know for sure now is that I'm loved. Above everything, I am loved. And that, that love is what gave us Jesus. It's what gave, gives us freedom. It's what released me from so much. I've had to start writing down all the ways that God has freed me because there's been so many things that have happened that like, you know, you start to forget, oh yeah, like this is how I used to think. So like, for example, I used to be so fearful of the future about what would happen to me in my life, where I was going to live. Like being a pastor's wife, we move around a lot. So I was like, where are we going to live? What's the future going to look like? You know, I wanted control over that. And, you know, where are we going to be five years from now? And I want to make a plan. But because I'm loved, I don't fear the future. What do I have to fear if God loves me and I know he will be with me? I'm good. Kind of like no matter what happens, I'm good because God, I'm his child. Then other things started to happen. Like I was listening to Tyler's podcast and he was talking about how he was loving Morgan, even though Morgan wasn't really loving him. And that moment I felt the spirit say to me because this story, like I was standing at a bus stop and I was listening to Tyler and Morgan's story and Bernard had to go to camp and he he needed to do washing before he went to camp. And I didn't, I knew he needed to do that. And I was going to call him and just remind him, hey, don't forget you need to put washing on because you're, you're leaving for camp. And then my immediate thought was like, no, I'm not, why am I going to call him and tell him that? Like Bernard's a grown man. He needs to like, he can figure this stuff out for himself. I'm, I'm not his mother. I don't want to set up some kind of expectation that I'm going to like look after him in this way. And, and I was thinking all of this while I was listening to, to Tyler talking about how he was loving Morgan, even though she wasn't loving him back. And the spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, well, if you love someone, wouldn't you want them to have clean clothes for camp? And I was like, yes. Why would, why would I want Bernard not to have clean clothes? Like, it's, like a, it's like a silly like, situation, but it's, it's what 
the Spirit spoke to me and showed me I had not been loving Bernard freely. Hmm. Like I had been loving Bernard with condition and with expectation. And so this is how I would operate. Like, oh, I, I love Bernard and I want to do this thing for him. But, oh, wait, I don't want to do that thing because then he's going to expect it all the time. So I've got to, like, hold back this bit and then oh, I, I, could, I will do this thing for him. But, oh, look, he didn't do the dishes this week or he hasn't helped out around the house. So then I'm not going to do that thing for him because he hasn't been doing his part. Like this is how I would think. And in that moment, as I was listening to the podcast at, at the bus stop, I felt so free from the expectation. Like now I could just love Bernard because I love Bernard. And how could I love him? Because I understood finally how loved I was. Like I'm trying before I was trying to love Bernard out of my own ability. And that that's finite. Now I, I know how loved I am when the love of God is infinite and overflowing and I never lack anything. So I can give to Bernard and he never has to give anything back to me. I don't need anything from Bernard anymore because I've already got everything I need. Hmm. And that, that, that felt so free because freeing, because it felt like a burden to like be back and forth in your mind. Now, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? Oh, but I keeping score of everything that Bernard did and didn't do. And, you know, he wasn't particularly kind to me or he didn't say good morning, the way I wanted him to this morning. So now I'm mad at him. So I'm not going to do that thing. I like, I, I was free from all of that because I, I finally got it. And at the same time, like I'm trying to figure out my next steps in my job and, 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 and I'm starting and I started following you on Instagram as well. And so these messages I'm getting every day is, is, amplifying this message for me. So now when I started, I started a temp job. Before I would have approached that job like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm going to screw things up. I'm not that great. I came to that job like, no, I'm, I'm not a failure. I now knew I'm not a failure. So I could front up to that job confident, not in an arrogant way, but confident like this is who I am. This is what I have to offer. I have skills. I can do things. It changed everything. Like I was redoing my resume and like I had this temp job, but I'm looking for full-time work at the same time. I went into interviews before I would like, you know, cause we got this fake humility. We feel like if we put ourselves down and, and we don't say nice things about ourselves that, that that's being humble. Like that's how I used to think, but I could go to interviews now and be like, yes, I'm good at this thing. Yes, I can do that because I knew who I was and what I was bringing to the table. I didn't have to put myself down and pretend like I couldn't do things because I'm trying to be humble because I know who I am. I'm his child. So I have value. I bring value to the places I work and to the relationships I'm in. Mm. I, I don't feel that failure of I didn't finish university, I'm never going to amount to anything. I don't know what the future holds for me in terms of my working life. 
But I, I now know who I am. So whatever job I end up in, whatever career it is, kind of doesn't matter. That is like secondary to me knowing my value as his child. And the, and then again, like someone, I think it was you or Justin t- talking about because of, no, actually it was Ruth, oh, someone. Someone was talking about how we don't have to position ourselves as victims. And here I was in my relationship with Bernard, positioning myself as a victim. And we had had a long conversation about this. And I thought the whole situation in my marriage, he was doing these things to me. So I would always feel really sorry for myself. Mm. Like, poor me, look what's happening to me. Like, and, and in other ways, I would like pump myself up and be like, oh, Karen, you're just so great for dealing with this. Like, look how well you're dealing with this. Other people wouldn't put up with this. Bernard is so lucky that you uh, have stayed with him through this. It's funny how you can be so double-minded. On the one hand, like, I'm a victim, poor me, like, this is so bad. And then on the other hand, being like, well, I'm really great because look at what how I've stuck it out with my husband during these difficult times. And because now I had no expectations on Bernard, like I came to therapy being like, we've got to fix this. Like they've got to fix Bernard. Bernard needs to learn what's wrong with him and he needs to fix himself. I had no expectation on him now and and what the rest of therapy would look like and how this would, would turn out. You know, I've been praying so long, Richard, for God to change Bernard and to change my marriage and to change the situation and and in the last few months, God changed me. I never felt like I would ever be able to have peace in my situation in my marriage. I never felt like I would ever feel good in myself when this is my situation. I thought, like, if anything was going to change, God would change Bernard and God would change our circumstance I never thought God would change me and he has and he gave me a new heart so that I don't expect anything from Bernard. I now know, Richard, if for whatever reason our situation never changes because this is the, the thing of it, like it's not like I believed all the stuff and click your fingers, God changed our marriage and now we're having all this great sex. That's not the reality. But you know what? I don't need that. I don't need God to change that. I'm good. Mm. I never thought I would be able to say that I could be in this situation and be good. Like before this, I believed God had been carrying me through, but he'd been carrying me through. But at the same time, I was miserable. I was upset. I was injured. I was a victim. I was angry. Like, But now I'm none of those things and I'm still in it. The situation hasn't changed, but I'm good. A a few months, well, not a few months, like actually just a few weeks ago, we we were, you know, going, we were doing therapy. So like all of this is happening. And, and, you know, like our therapy, like I said last year in December, I felt like our relationship went to another level. When I finally became free it's like 
what what we had been doing in therapy and everything that we had been learning was like the small time. Like this is like doesn't compare this transformation that's happening that happened within me doesn't compare to I, I feel like I'm not explaining this well like we had done the work in therapy to change our relationship and that felt like a change and it felt really good and we were heading in the right direction mm-hmm. but that pales in comparison to the change that has happened because I know who I am and I know how loved I am. Mercy. Like that could not have happened because of therapy. Therapy is good. Like sure. I feel like everyone could benefit from it. But where things really change, where like, and not just change, like I was thinking about this. I went to lots of summer camps and Friday night programs and I would feel like, okay, like I'm going to be better and I'm loved by God. But that change it was always dependent on what I could do afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it was felt like a band-aid. This this change, what has happened, what God has done, feels like He has rewritten my DNA. It is like at the core of who I am. So that this is permanent. Everything else that happens around, things that happen in my job, in my relationships, in my marriage, if with my health, whatever. This does not change. The truth of who I am, the truth of God's love for me, my freedom, that does not change. And I, and I can feel that in like being so the core of who I am now. I, it's like by, by not having expectations and because of how God had, had changed me, and, and made me new, not changed me, as you said, like made me new. I think like this is all still new for me. So sometimes some of the vocabulary hasn't like caught up to what I believe now. Sure. Uh-huh. So I'm a new person with a new heart and the new person has no expectations on Bernard and how unfair it was of me to expect Bernard to love me in a way that only God could love me. So by not having those expectations, I've released Bernard as well because it, I was holding him to something that he could never actually do and that wasn't fair to him. And so because, like, you know, all of this, cha- all of this newness and change has happened, we, we, we've, we're still going to therapy because it's still very much our reality. And uh, actually, even before that, because I wasn't getting what I wanted physically from Bernard, I was, I believed these lies that, well, I'm a human being with sexual desires and needs. They need Mm -hmm. to be met somehow. And so if you're not going to do it, then I will just take care of myself. Then the spirit in which I was doing that was always in like, almost like in like revenge. Well, you're not giving the thing to me that I want. So then I will go over here and do this thing for myself because I deserve this thing. And I started to believe these lies. Well, like I have no control over when I feel have needs and desires. Like I'm, this is just biology and I've just got to go with it. Right. Like, you know, so I've got to indulge every feeling that comes. I've just got to indulge that. And even 
really before I believed how free I am, I felt the spirit speaking to me saying, I, this is not what I want for you. This situation where almost like I was using my sexuality as revenge for what my husband wasn't giving to me. Like I was using it because I was angry because I did believe I deserved certain things that I wasn't getting. I was like, I would just indulge every feeling and every desire. And the spirit it was, didn't, uh, it didn't give you what it promised. Did you? Oh, it didn't. It, it was a depressing and empty feeling is what 100%. would happen. It like, you know, you think it's going to be really good and then it happens. And then afterwards you're like, well, that didn't do it. That wasn't it. No, you feel worse because the accuser, it's because it's, it's fake. Yeah. It's not intimacy. No. Like we all are built with desires. Yeah. We're, we have desires for intimacy. Yeah. Those desires aren't wrong. Those desires fulfilled outside of righteousness are. Yeah. That's what sin is. Yeah. And so as we see and receive the freedom of Jesus and we're actually just freed from our old self mm. because our old self was sold under sin and in the flesh rotten. Mm. And Jesus has uh, taken care of that old man in his death, burial, resurrection and our participation mm. in it through our baptism. That's what we talked about mm. this week. And now we can participate in newness of life. Yeah. New lens. Yeah. And, and the new lens I was given is that I'm not a slave to my body. I'm not a slave to every desire that comes my way. Like I get to choose. I have power. I have been given power and the desire, like this is, this is the spirit in me. The minute I felt like I'm, I'm doing this and not in the way that God wants me to do it, the desire just dropped right off. I, I used to feel like if I don't satisfy myself like now, like I, like I would feel this urgency, like almost every day, well, I've got to do something about this. This feeling has come, well, I've got to do something about this. And the minute the spirit spoke to me, that and that desire just dropped away. I have not felt the, the, the power or the pull of that. And I know that's not by me, by myself. That is the spirit in me has given me power to put that aside and, and, and walk in a way that is what God wants to give me, the gift that he wants to give me. That was like a miracle in and of itself because before that, every feeling was, I just felt like I had to go with it. Karen, if, as, as I'm hearing your story and, I, and it's just, it's moving me in a big way, as we're getting, as we're wrapping up, mm. if you could talk to Karen from maybe two years into marriage, two years, like she had built this, idol of marriage up in her mind and it was the answer to all her problems mm. and now it doesn't seem it seems like it wasn't the living water that it had promised to be and your messiah was not bees and 
And now all this revelation, not this revelation, this deception's coming over you and you're now less than. If you could go back to that to that young lady and just pull her to the side and just talk to her. Oh man. What would you tell her? That is a good question. I would say what you're believing about God right now is not true. He's not disappointed. He just really loves you. He just loves you so much. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you. And even like right now, it feels like a struggle and it feels hard and painful. His love for you can cover all of that. So it doesn't hurt. It won't hurt anymore. Just give it to him. And and not the situation, but give your pain to him. Give your offense and your hurt. He wants to take that from you. He's got something else for you, Hmm. something way better. And what he's got for you is peace. What he's got for you is freedom. But above everything, he's got his love for you. And that love is nothing like you've ever experienced before. That love answers all your questions. It, it is whatever you're feeling right now, it's the answer for all of that. It is this, the, the medicine for all of that. It is the thing that will change everything. It's his love for you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He just loves you. You don't have to do anything. Just love him. That's it. Thanks for for sharing your story, Karen. And I have a feeling we'll be hearing a little bit more from you in the future. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Waking up to memories